grabbed me. Jesus came and grabbed me. And he held me close. And he wouldn't let go. Somebody ought to receive that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, God is the author of the greatest comebacks in all time. Is he not? Amen. And it's only God that can turn a seemingly meaningless situation into something through which he is glorified. And we have just heard of that this morning in our very presence. I want to attempt to preach a few verses in your hearing today. I know that we have scheduled today for baptism. Somebody said, preacher, I mean, I mean, are baptisms like really that important? Even though they are not a prerequisite to heaven, they are indeed of great significance. And we ought to want to be baptized. Let me say that again. We ought to want to be baptized. Amen. Because it is an outward symbol of an inward work that has taken place in us after receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. Now listen, if you didn't come prepared to be baptized today, uh, amen, don't fear. The fellowship itself, the Native American section, we are planning a mass baptism. Those times and dates have not yet been revealed. I do know the location, but not the time or date. And others will be baptized in that service. Our baby dedication. Uh, amen. Some of you have expressed a desire to have your children dedicated to the Lord. And we're going to do that on next Sunday. Some of you won't be able to be here. And we will set aside another time to actually dedicate babies to the Lord. If you'll stand with me as we glean from the Word of God. Amen. Acts chapter number 22, beginning in verse number 6. Now, I could go all the way through verse 21, but for the sake of time, I only want to pause after verse number 8. Acts 6, I'm sorry, Acts 22, verses 6 through 8. Today, in the Lord's presence. Thank you so much for honoring the Word. Can I just give a shout out to all the volunteers who came out yesterday in our cleanup project, did an awesome job. Wonderful. And we praise the Lord for you. We have Acts 22, verse number 6. The word of the Lord reads in our presence. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near to Damascus at about noon, that suddenly a great light from heaven shone round me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it was penned for our observance. We now ask your blessing to accompany your word as it ministers to our hearts. Touch every listener. Every participant in this service, whether they are bodily present, seated on our premises, or viewing by way of social media. We give you thanks in advance for all that you are doing. In Jesus' name, his church said amen. Amen. 
listen, I don't want anyone to think that when this portion of the service is closed, that you're at your liberty to be dismissed. I believe you all need to witness the baptism service. It's important for us as believers to connect in that right. So that when the invitation today is given and we transition into our baptism, amen, it would be a great honor if the remainder of the body of Christ would stay and witness this life-changing moment in the lives of those candidates. We understand that this is another recording of Paul's Damascus Road experience that originally was afforded us in Acts chapter 9, but again repeated in chapter number 22. We may ask ourselves today as the people of God, how can I know that something is a sin? How can I know something is a sin? There are two issues commonly involved in this question. Those the Bible specifically mentions and declares as sin. And also those things that are not directly addressed in the word of God. I would love to use for a thought in your presence this morning the road to recovery. The road to recovery. If you stick with me and I'll, I'll make it clearer as we journey through the message. If you begin to understand the man Paul as the scriptures reveal him to us. But there is so much more that we need to uncover about his life. Now, the Word of God tells us that there are a list of various sins that are placed throughout the Scriptures, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. They give us a list of sins. These are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. How about Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Also, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Another list of sins. 
do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, for neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I believe it's the Bible itself that has made it clear as crystal that these things are sins. There are other sins. These are comprised lists of sins. But it is the word of God that leads us and guides us into all truth. Anybody with me? Do we understand today that even when the Bible does not directly cover the specifics of any issue, that we have general principles in God's word that guides us? Do we understand that? Even when the Bible doesn't make it as clear as crystal, we still have general principles or basic truths in the word of God that help us understand and help guide us. There are times even when things do not affect us, but they harmfully influence or affect someone else. When that happens, saints, it's a sin. We all know what sin is. Sin is any unrighteous act toward God. The Bible tells us when we know to do right but choose to do wrong, then it becomes a sin. Amen or oh me, y'all. This reality is something that we all need to understand. Romans 14 and 21 states in the presence of God, It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Pastor, you mean to tell me if I eat meat and it offends my brother, I shouldn't do it? That's exactly what Paul is saying. Brother Robert, we need to understand the backdrop of why Paul said this. Because it was common for individuals in that day to connect with this fact that often meat was offered to idols. So if one sat down to a meal considering possibly that that animal was offered to an idol, it would be offensive. Oh my, I can tell I got my homework cut out for me today. But the truth of the matter is this. The Bible says if it causes our brother to stumble, if it causes him to be offended, if it causes him to even be made weak, then it becomes a sin. Our focus as believers should be on the values of the kingdom of God. Our focus should be on advancing the work of the Lord in the lives of other people. So if any action generated by us or deed performed by us causes another to sin, we should check ourselves. Praise the Lord. And we should ask God's forgiveness so to not cause anyone to stumble. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. This is Paul speaking. He says, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What is Paul emphasizing here? 
Paul is simply telling us that he will not allow anything to serve as a master over his life. Not his desires, not his passions, not his wants, not his appetite, not anything is going to have power over him. He reminds the believers that worldly pleasures are corruptible and that worldly pleasures eventually pass away. Brother Gerald, you have fun in sin? Lasted just a little while, though. Is that not what the word of the Lord tells us? It only lasted for a season. And then it faded away. Thank God for Paul's Damascus Road experience. Did anybody in here have a Damascus Road experience? You want to say to me, Pastor, I'm really not sure I, I, I can connect with what you're saying I simply want us to know that one day we thought we were a good old boy. One day we thought we were on the right path. We thought that we were doing all the right things. We thought that just because our mom and dad were in covenant relationship with God that we had a covering and that we were okay because we were raised in a Christian home and a Christian family. But over time we grew to realize that we as individuals are accountable for our own actions in the sight of God. Do you understand what kind of man Saul of Tarsus was before he came to know Jesus? Do you have any indication of what kind of man Saul was? Well, thank God he found his Damascus road. Thank God he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because his story is one of redemption. His testimony is one that no one is beyond God's saving grace. So for us to gain the full measure of who Paul was, we must examine his dark side. Yeah, he had a dark side. Some of you are like, oh really, you're going to pull that Star Wars stuff on me? Let me tell you something. What he symbolized before his encounter with Jesus was his dark side. Let's do a little homework. Philippians chapter number 3, verses 5 and 6, tell us a little about the, the man Saul of Tarsus. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless you getting this this was the man of God Paul formerly Saul of Tarsus so what does the scripture afford us about the man Saul he was religious he was a Pharisee anybody know who the Pharisees were always a big difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees Big difference is that the Pharisees were self-righteous in their own eyes. They held to their own interpretation of the law. Sadducees are appropriately named because they failed to believe in the resurrection. Therefore, they are sad, you see. Amen? He is a religious man. He's born in Tarsus in Cilicia. Scholars say between the time of 1 to 5 A.D. What is now Turkey. His parents were Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin with a Hebrew ancestry. 
His parents were Roman citizens who viewed Jerusalem as both a sacred and a holy city. But Saul's life was marked by brutal violence. Saul's life was marked by a relentless persecution of the early church. Saul's life was marked by a religious zeal. Do you know that he thought he was doing right? Help me, saints of God. He thought because he was religious that he was doing right. Have any of us ever felt like we were doing right until God struck us down? And then we had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Brother Ted, the Bible helps us to understand in Acts chapter 22 and verse number 3 some things that happened to Saul of Tarsus. He said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. History goes on to tell us he was an intelligent man. He was not a big guy in stature, but he was very intelligent. Some scholars even suggest that he pursued a degree in the practice of law. Others have hinted to the fact that his whole desire was to be a part of the Sanhedrin Council that consisted of 71 members. Are you with me, saints of God? Can I preach while I'm here? So he, at the ripe age of around about 13 years old, was sent to Judea to receive instruction or training at the feet of a well-known rabbi whose name was Gamaliel. Under Gamaliel, Paul mastered the Jewish history. He mastered the Psalms and the works of the prophets. Among the other things that Saul learned was the dissecting of Scripture. History tells us that over time, he developed a question-answer style of teaching that is known or was known in ancient times as diatribe. It was a lengthy oration or speech made in criticism of someone or something. It was often abusive in its content. Can I tell you that Saul became zealous for his faith and he did not allow compromise. This is the old Saul. He did not allow compromise. He was present, the Bible tells us, at the stoning death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7 and verse number 58, somebody said, well, did he actually issue the order for the stoning death? I don't know that he did, but I do know that he was present and he was consenting. Glory to God. The Bible says he was there witnessing. Amen. He, people laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So we understand a little bit about his life before he came to know Jesus Christ. He was present at the stoning death of Stephen. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1, praise the Lord, that great persecution broke out against the church of God at Jerusalem. And Christians fled to Judea and Samaria and even parts beyond. Do you know that it was the heart of Saul of Tarsus to eradicate Christians in the name of God? Do you know that he wanted to stamp out the Jewish faith? Are you listening to me, saints of God? He thought, Brother Donnie, what he was doing was the right thing when it was the complete opposite of what God wanted to take place. 
So long before Saul knew that he would travel 150 miles to Damascus with letters in hand from the high priest, long before he ever had any imagination that he would have an encounter with Jesus, Jesus was setting him up. Are y'all with me, somebody? How many of you know before you were ever born, God had a plan for your life? Didn't we say weeks ago that he said to the prophet Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet among the nations. What are you trying to say? Thank God Saul had this Damascus Road experience. He thought that he was doing the right thing. He thought that if I can get rid of Christians, I can stamp out Christianity. Little did he know, Holy Ghost help me, that God was going to use him as an instrument to promote the gospel to the known world. Little did he know that God would use him, amen, to write at least 13 books of the New Testament scripture. Little did he know that God would use him to travel to different countries and spread the gospel. Little did he know that he would stand before great authorities, before governors and princes and kings. Little did he know the plan that God had reserved for him. Thank God he had a Damascus Road experience. He was a wicked somebody before Jesus. You might as well hear me. But he thought he was in the clique. He thought that if it was over, he would make heaven. Hello, somebody. You want to know what kind of behavior this man displayed or exhibited? In Acts chapter 8 and verse number 3, the word of God tells us. For Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Can you imagine after the scattering of the early church that you couldn't even enjoy the comfort of your home? Because somebody burst in like a wild animal and drug you in the street and had you committed to prison, you might as well hear me today, saints of God. It would have terrified the average person. But let me tell you something. There were still those who had a relationship with Jesus. There were still those who'd been by the cross. There were still those who trusted in the Lord for salvation. Amen. And even though we are facing a turbulent times in the day in which we live, God still got a people. I need to tell somebody today. God is still got a people. God still got somebody. Amen. That'll stand in the face of evil, in the face of wickedness, in the face of Satan and all the demons of hell and say amen. If God is for me, who can be against me? God still got some people. Bible said this man was like a wild animal tearing through the streets of Jerusalem, bursting into homes, pulling people out of the comforts, amen, of home and dragging them off to prison. He acted like a religious terrorist. Are you with me, somebody? This man was filled with murderous rage and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll stamp out the Christians and get rid of Christianity. But the Bible said he was going to Damascus. And around about the noon hour, 
there was a bright light that shone down from heaven and a voice heard out of heaven and called him by his name. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered, who are you, Lord? He smote him with blindness so that he couldn't see. Jesus responded, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Are y'all with me? I don't know if nobody else in the posse saw what Saul said. Amen. Or saw what Saul saw, but I know this one thing. I do know that God had a plan for Saul, and he smote him with blindness. Brother Manny, he began to reveal to him, now get on up and go into the city. Go to the street called Straight, and there's one there waiting to lay his hands on you. The Bible said his eyes were covered with scales, and he couldn't see. Don't you know when you are a religious terrorist, don't you know when you act in a murderous rage that you invoke the fear, amen, into the life of almost everybody? Do you not know that Ananias was probably afraid to lay his hands on Saul? But God said, listen, he's a chosen vessel unto me. Are you with me, somebody? It was then, Brother Eric, that he mustered the faith to lay hands on Saul. And amen, God began to reveal how great things he must suffer for his name's sake. Somebody ought to thank God for the Damascus road encounter that Saul had with Jesus. This is something I did a little research on. It'll make the devil mad. But this is the second largest story in the context of the New Testament. What story? The story of Paul's life and conversion. Do you know that it occupies more space in the New Testament than any other story except the events that surround it, the crucifixion, the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Saul of Tarsus is the second mentioned named person in the entirety of the New Testament. A man who killed Christians. Talk about a turnaround. Saul's life and testimony are an example to us that there is no life beyond God's power to save. No life. He said on one occasion, I was the chiefest among sinners. What was he saying? Brother Don, I was the worst you could be. But God saved me. Some of y'all missed a real good place to shout. Amen. Saul was saying, God changed me. In Acts chapter 9, his life was turned upside down. Because it is the beginning of this story that continued in Acts chapter 22. Do you know that this man became the world's single greatest evangelist slash missionary that has ever lived? Are you kidding me? History tells us that by foot alone he traveled more than 10,000 miles. 10,000 miles by foot to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can bless somebody and tell you that it, it weren't always no better roses either. I can tell you that he faced peril. Oh, my God. 
of many, many times. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? The Bible tells us, I'm paraphrasing, you stick with me. I'm trying to get us to the next portion of the service. He said, I've been in perils on land. I've been in perils on the sea. I've been in perils of my own countrymen. In other words, what Paul was trying to say, I've been, amen, in trouble, amen, on the land. I, I've been in trouble on the sea. I've been in trouble even in the company of my own countrymen and fellow brothers. But I want to tell you, there was a time that I felt like I was standing alone. He said, but I have full assurance that I wasn't alone for it was the Lord who was standing right by me. That's what Paul is saying. Oh, praise the Lord. Many of us would have got broken hearted. We'd have got discouraged. We'd have been like them soldiers sent to boot camp wanting to call mama and daddy. I didn't know who was going to break down first, my wife or my son. I said to my wife, honey, you can't go down there and get that boy off that military base. I just need to know my baby's all right. But in the back of my mind, Brother Oceanus, here's what I was saying. God has him right where he needs him. God's got him in a position that there's no way out. Sometimes God needs to get us between a rock and a hard place just so he can get our attention. One of my proudest moments was watching them graduate from the U.S. Army's basic training program. I don't know that there's been many more prouder moments as a dad than to see my son standing there in a uniform to represent the greatest country on the face of the planet, the U.S.A. Are you with me? And then how moving it was to my heart to listen to a group of those soldiers whom he shared an eight-week basic training experience with. You, Oxendine's father, sir? Yes, I am. I want you to know that not only is Oxendine a good soldier, sir, he's a great leader, but his single greatest quality, amen, is that he loves the Lord. I want to tell you, amen, there's been nothing that has been more inspiring to me as a father than to hear that. That's right. Ain't always done what he should. Neither have we. None of us have been perfect. We've all made mistakes. We've crushed the hearts of people that love us with every fiber of their being. Y'all might as well get off them and tell the truth. Come on, somebody. But thank God for Damascus Road experiences. Thank God for encounters with Jesus. Thank God that there is a road, Brother Wesley, that leads to recovery. Thank God. Saul thought he was doing the right thing when he was completely wrong. Kind of move on. I'm trying to hurry. Paul's story repeats itself daily as sinful, broken people are transformed by God's saving grace. Am I right? Now listen, I know how we are. Sometimes we get the mindset of Jonah who the Lord said, I need you to go to Nineveh and I need you to preach to the people there. And Jonah said, I ain't got no business in Nineveh. Jonah said, them people will kill you. Them, th listen, them people are ruthless. Me go down there and talk about Jesus? I tell you what I do, God. I'm going down here, and I'm going to catch me a boat going the other way. Isn't that what he did? He caught a ship going the other way, Brother Charlie. And when he did, just as soon as they left port and got out, got out on the ocean, things got to rocking and a rolling. And you know what? Immediately he knew he was the root cause. So then he says to the stewards in charge with that ship, I'm your problem. And if you throw me overboard, everything will be all right. Well, all we want to beat on how the brother went the wrong way. But he still got off the boat. He still acknowledged his wrong. He said, if you throw me overboard, everything will be okay. 
They threw him overboard. The Bible said God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, and he swallowed Jonah for three days. He was in the belly of that whale. He's the first man I know of got a sun tan, never saw the beach. Y'all say, what are you talking about? What well, the gastric juices of that whale's belly would have burned his skin. Would have caused it to change color. Not to mention the awful stench that had to be inside that animal. But God got him to where he had nowhere else to go but to the Lord. Are you listening to me, somebody? Are you praying that over the life of your family? God, I want you to get them to a place that they've got nowhere else to go but to turn to you. The Bible said the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many are grateful that God is merciful in that degree? And that he don't write us off. He comes to us again. And he came to Jonah. Jonah trying again to reason with God. Them people don't need saving. God said let me be the judge of that. There's 60,000 of them down there that can't discern their right hand from their left. So you tell me who needs more salvation than somebody that lost. You want to know what happened? The Bible said amen that that fish Vomit him out on dry ground. After three days. Some of y'all thought Usain Bolt was fast. The Bible said he went into the city in a day's time. It normally would have took multiple days. But this man had a burning word from the Lord. And he had to get there to deliver it. Are y'all with me? Can I preach this? A lot of times we as people want to use ignorance as an excuse. Don't you get to lock y'all on me now. We want to use ignorance as an excuse. Now listen, we often misunderstand the word ignorance. Ignorance does not mean that one is void of understanding. Ignorance, ignorance does not mean one is stupid. And you can't fix stupid. I don't care how hard you try. You follow me? But ignorance in the, in the biblical context simply means the lack of knowledge and or understanding. Not knowing. That's what ignorance in the scriptural context means. Well, if we think we can use the word excuse because of our ignorance, God will not overlook our wrongs. We need to understand something real clearly here today that there is no adequate excuse for sin. Y'all remember Flip Wilson? Y'all remember Laugh-In, Dean Martin, Owen Wilson? Y'all remember, remember all them boys? Flip Wilson dressing up like a woman, swinging a pocketbook on his arm, talking about, yeah, the devil made me do it. That is not true. I said, hello? The devil can't make you do anything. It got all kind of ratings. But the devil cannot make you do anything. We need to understand that we are accountable for our own sin. And sin in any thought, any word, any deed, or any action committed by us as human beings that is contrary to God's perfection is a sin. You can sit down to lunch today and eat too much. That's a sin. That's gluttony. That's a sin. We cannot use ignorance as an excuse. 
Do you know that when God gave his law to the Israelites, he included special instructions about sacrifices when a person or an entire nation sinned in ignorance by not knowing the sin of ignorance. Leviticus chapter 4 in the Bible covers this. It outlines God's provision for those who sinned in ignorance or who sinned unintentionally. Do you know that ignorance did not excuse their sins? It didn't excuse their sins. The sins of ignorance still required an atoning sacrifice. The musicians are coming. The sins of ignorance still required an atoning sacrifice. Anybody know what atonement means? Break the word down. At one meant. That's what atonement means. It means to make one again. We know that our sins separate us from God. I mean, no God and sin can't live together. So when we sin, there has to be an atoning sacrifice to restore the relationship we had with God. And do you know that even though they sinned in the sin of ignorance or they sinned unintentionally, that a sacrifice still had to be offered? Absolutely. Or how else could they gain right standing with God again? It was impossible. So throughout the history of the Israelite people, we understand the continual purification rituals and or sacrifices that they engaged in. You want to know why that happened? It happened because God was attempting to show the people how far away from his holiness they were. How far away they were. Ignorance did not excuse sin. It does not excuse sin today. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ who became the once and for all atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Do you know that God does not tolerate ignorance? Amen, class. God does not tolerate ignorance. As a matter of fact, God has always given us his word to serve as our example on how we are to live. So we stand today in the presence of God without an excuse. Do we have an excuse? According to the scriptures, we have no excuses. Oh my. Let's look at Hosea chapter number 4 and verse number 6. This is the word of God, saints. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. This is God talking to his people. The people of covenant relationship. Are you receiving this today? So we are without excuses. We stand before God. But let me help you understand something really clear about knowledge. Knowledge, in short, is the acquisition of, of, of information. Right? We say knowledge is 
information acquired. Wisdom is knowledge applied. But do you know that knowledge, biblical knowledge, it implies experience, not just intellectual pursuit. Doesn't matter how smart we are. It doesn't matter what our IQ is. We got to have an experience with Jesus. That's knowledge. You hear me, Harvest Church? It doesn't matter what your SAT score was. It doesn't matter what college or university you've been accepted. It's a wise person that knows and does the will of God. Amen. And today ignorance is not an excuse. You see, Israel wanted to experience God outside of a loyal obedience. They wanted to have a knowledge of God outside of being faithful to Him and His service. Do we understand that that's not possible? For to know God requires a relationship. And if we're in relationship, we're not going to violate that because we love those persons we're in relationship with. Preach, Pastor. But did Israel do that? No. Israel did not do that. What did Israel do? The people and the priest violated the law of God and in so doing they forfeited their blessings do you know ignorance of the true God is unjustifiable honey let's look at Romans chapter number 1 beginning in verse number 18 through 25 Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 for the raft of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men Read this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You got it? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Oh, my. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies 
among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What was Paul saying? Paul said that the knowledge of God's existence is all around us. But we as the whole of humanity have rejected it. We have been ungrateful. We have been irreligious. As a matter of fact, in the middle of that passage of scripture, Paul said, we have become fools who have learned the truth about God and deliberately rejected it. Friend, we need to be grateful today that no matter how miserably we have failed, that God has laid out for us a road of recovery and that God can turn our situation around just like he did Saul whose name was changed to Paul. And he used this man of God so mightily for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that we can trade ignorance for wisdom? The Bible said as many believed in him, he gave them power to become the sons and the daughters of God. If you're lost without Jesus today, amen, you can know him in the pardon and forgiveness of sin. It's God that throughout the history of recorded time has used the transformation that took place in the lives of people like Saul of Tarsus to serve as a testimony of his love and faithfulness to the lives of other people. And I want you to know today that whomever you are, regardless of where you've been and what you've done, you can come to know Jesus because he died to save you. And if you would only place that faith in him that the apostle Paul did, he can use you in ways you never thought possible. Paul's dramatic conversion provides to us a very clear picture. You say, Pastor, what's that? That not one of us, come on, not one of us, not one individual in this room, not one person gracing the face of this planet is beyond the power of God to change. Nobody is beyond God's power to change. And not only change, but use for the glory of the kingdom of God and the glory of his name. Would you stand with me as we pray together? I want to ask Brother Ernie, Brother Steve, if you'd come to the front here just for a second, I'd like for you gentlemen to anoint a couple of these prayer cloths. I've been asked by a few people that we would anoint these cloths and pray over them. And I want to pray over this body of believers. 
we'll transition into our baptism portion of this service. Today in the presence of God, I need you to know who are present in this room. If you are lost without Christ, he came to save you. He came to redeem you from the curse of sin and the law and to write a new name down for you in glory. And only God reserves the power to do so. Can we pray together? If you're lost today, he came to save you. If you're struggling in your walk with Christ, there is a road to recovery. Thank God for Brother Tyler McQueen's story. Thank God for the story of many others who are worshipers, regular participants in service here at Harvest Church. And God is still writing the story of many people who are present in this room today. Be open to the will of God. Be submissive to his voice as he leads you into all truths. Father, we thank you for this group of people today who have come to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for your anointed word as it went out and ministered into the lives of all those present, all those viewing, all those listening today to this service. Lord, help them to understand that no matter the path in life that they have selected and or chosen, that you have paved a road to recovery and that you alone sit readily available to assist them in any crisis of their life. Now, Lord God, we pray for these cloths. We pray for the individuals, Lord, to whom we've anointed them for. We know there are no value in the properties of this cloth itself. It's only the oil that symbolizes the Holy Spirit's presence that has value. So now, God, we release our faith with the faith of those individuals to trust you for healing, to trust you for deliverance, to trust you for encouragement, Lord, through whatever condition or situation they are facing. We believe as though it were and therefore give you honor and glory. Lord, we pray for this congregation and those who frequent our services on a weekly basis. We pray for their homes and for their families. We pray for their strength and their continued growth and maturity on their spiritual journeys. Now, Lord God, it's our prayer that you would touch the brokenhearted, that you would lift the spirits of the discouraged. Lord, that you would draw that sinner into your marvelous grace and the plan of salvation. We glorify you in advance. In the strong name of Jesus, God's church shouted amen and amen. Praise the Lord.